This is 50 Reasons to Visit Britain. We're your hosts, Joe Donlan and Caitlin Potts. Coming up on today's show, Joe gets on a soapbox to express his long-standing love for curry. Chips or crisps? Takeaway or takeout? What's the difference? We've got answers. You have to go across the pond for this dish and beverage banned in Canada and the U.S. Think you know what they are? Listen to find out. And we kick off a new theme with Reason 21. everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of our 50 Reasons to Visit Britain from Crystal Travel and Tours in Boston. My name is Caitlin, and I'm kind of a picky eater, um, and we'll talk more about that soon. I have a feeling. I have a hunch. And my name is Joe, and I will eat absolutely anything. <laughs> During each episode of this podcast series, we will be focusing on a new and exciting reason to travel to Britain. In case you haven't already guessed, today's reason number 21 is traditional British recipes, otherwise known as food. Yes. Very exciting. Very exciting. If you're a foodie, which I feel like most people are, it's pretty exciting. Do you eat food? Then this episode is for you. (laughs) Do you need food to stay alive? (laughs) Then you should listen up. So we took a BuzzFeed quiz, um, as we always do for these episodes, and this reason's quiz was, which British food matches your personality? So Joe, I'm going to let you share your results first. Taking the lead on this one, am I? Yeah. I took this yesterday, ahead of time for once, and shared my results with the girls, because I thought it was quite funny. I got mushy peas. Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, I wasn't disappointed in it, to be honest. It was a little funny at the start, but then I was like, no, that makes a lot of sense. So the description is, maybe you're not to everyone's taste, but those who do love you really love you. You're not afraid of looking a little silly if it helps to lighten the mood of those around you. So the description doesn't fit that well around me, but I feel like mushy peas themselves do because... Mushy peas are not much to look at, but they serve a couple of different purposes. Number one, they are still peas, making them a vegetable, making them good for you. <laughs> but they also almost serve as kind of a sauce in a lot of my dinners. So they're both vegetable and sauce in one. So like if I had meat and potatoes and mushy peas, that would be all I would need on the plate. Wow. So, you know, I feel like it just, you know. Clearly, you haven't thought about this at all. <laughs> Not at all. It keeps me up at night. I'm impressed. We need to have you start taking these quizzes the day before when you're off. I am all for this. What did you get? Well, I got sausage rolls, <laughs> which I don't like sausage. I do like rolls, but like, I don't know. Anyway, it says, there's not a single person who doesn't secretly love you. Even if they don't want to admit it, you can sometimes be a little flaky when it comes to social events, which is very true. But when you do show up, you bring an unmatched enthusiasm to the room. So that is fairly accurate, Caitlin. I hate to say yeah, it. But, yeah. Yeah. But, but sausage roll, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> sure. Whatever. It just, like, I'm looking at the picture. It looks so unappetizing right now. So 
I feel like you and I had an opposite connection with this where you identify more with the food and I liked the description more. But yeah. anyway, it's BuzzFeed. I like, I like your food, if that helps. <laughs> we have that I, mean, I like Yeah. I, like, I don't like them mushy, but whatever. I'm a picky eater, as I said. So Crystal Math for this episode, let's let's break it down, shall we? The UK exports more than 20 billion pounds of food and drink per year. And when I say pounds here, I mean currency, not like pounds as in weight. So think about that. 970 million dozen eggs are laid in the UK every year. That's such a weird way to phrase it. It's 970 million dozen. <laughs> I get it, and it's it makes it makes sense, but it's a weird way to phrase it. That's what the research tells me. <laughs> <laughs> and odds are those are free-range eggs as well, so keep that in mind. 71% of land in the UK is farmland, and the UK is 76% sufficient in growing homegrown food take that brexit boom take it (laughs) eat that nice 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 insulting kid and i love it thank you (laughs) (laughs) all right an optional name for this episode is also in defense of britain and i say that because british food gets a bad rep but we are here to debunk all of that within the next 40 some minutes of this episode No one does food quite like the British do. Get ready to hear all about the popular dishes known around the world and the less known regional specialties sure to delight your taste buds. We're going to start off with something that may seem a bit exotic for British food and then work our way into your breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, all that jazz. So take it away, Joe. So I am going to start with something that we like to call Anglo-Indian cuisine. It's hard to say that Indian equals English or British, but then again, I feel like Americans claim a lot of other countries' foods as well, such as French fries and all Mexican food and stuff like that. So, the first Indian restaurant is said to have opened by Indian migrant Dean Muhammad in Britain in 1809, which is over 200 years ago. Today, there are more than 9,000 Indian restaurants and curry houses in the UK. It's also believed that a great influence came from the British Raj in India, as the British wives interacted with their Indian cooks. Britain's favourite type of curry is chicken tikka masala. It's based on the Indian dish commonly known as butter chicken. Chicken is marinated in yogurt and spices, cooked in a tandoori oven, then covered in a creamy tomato sauce, or a tomato sauce, depending on your (laughs) flavour. The main difference between the Indian and British versions is the British take on the dish is slightly sweeter. Another popular dish is chutney. This is a cooked and sweetened preparation of fruit, nuts, or vegetables. It borrows from the tradition of jam making, which doesn't sound that appealing, to be quite honest, as a curry, but it is pretty, pretty good. Do I like curry, Caitlin? Yes, yes, I do like curry. I love curry. Um, you're like, you're like. Have you? Did you ever watch um, Keenan and Kel? Uh, Kel loves orange soda. Yeah. yeah, you are, you are the Kel of curry, basically, right? Yeah, similar situation. Um, <laughs> Ireland is not in the same vein as Britain for its curry. Ireland actually likes Chinese food more for some reason. But yeah, the English especially um, love their curry. Scots as well, I guess. Um, Inverness has a ton of a ton of Indian 
restaurants. But yes, love my curry and I've gotten into Indian, especially in the last few years. Ireland's take on curry is very different to that of um, India. But getting into it a lot recently, and it is, it's delicious. The English like to eat it, especially after a night out. They will go and grab a curry before bed. So that's interesting, it's I guess. the fourth meal, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty interesting. Nice. Moving on from curry. So you've had a curry last night, and you wake up late the following morning, and you are looking for breakfast. What do you eat for breakfast? The most famous British breakfast is the full English breakfast. It typically includes bacon, sausages, eggs, and either coffee or tea. One of the most internationally recognized British dishes that goes back to the 13th century with traditions of hospitality and serving hearty breakfasts to visitors. Um, Full English breakfast is very similar to the full Irish, the full Ulster, the full Welsh, and the full Scottish breakfast. They all have very different takes. Very similar, but very different takes on how they do their breakfasts. I know in England, or I guess Britain in general, a lot of the time, their potato that they have as part of the dish is a lot of the time a kind of like a potato pancake almost, or a Mm. potato bread. Whereas whereas with... um, Irish breakfast, it could be like fried potatoes, it could be waffles, it could be fries. There's a lot of different different options, but it's just interesting to see the differences. And then some include um, tomatoes or tomatoes and mushrooms, and some include baked beans and some don't. So it's just it's interesting to see them across the board. Um, outside of breakfast, then, we're looking at bangers and mash. Bangers and mash is a traditional dish of sausages and mashed potatoes, sometimes served with onion gravy, fried onions, or peas. Not usually mushy peas, but you'd never know. Known as a popular comfort food going back to World War I with the term bangers coming from when there was a meat shortage during the war, sausages were produced with more water, so they were more likely to pop when they cook. I love bangers and mash too, and it says sometimes served with onion gravy. If it's not served with onion gravy, it's not really bangers and mash in my estimation. So there you go. That's just my my um, expert opinion on the matter. Yeah. Uh-huh. Welsh rarebit is a traditional Welsh dish with melted cheese poured over toast coming from the 18th century Britain. Even though the name is Welsh rabbit, the dish contains no rabbit's meat. The sauce is made from ale, mustard, ground cayenne pepper, or ground paprika, 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 and Worcestershire sauce. The sauce may also be made by blending cheese and mustard. I have heard many different variations on why it's called Welsh rarebit, and the rabbit one is the main one. But nobody is honestly sure why it's called Welsh rarebit. There's kind of lots of different rumors doing the rounds, but it's kind of the way they pronounce it. It definitely sounds more like Welsh rabbit, which is definitely funny. Uh, Toad in the hole is sausage in Yorkshire pudding batter, usually served with onion gravy and vegetables. Toad in the hole was originally created as a way to stretch out meat in poor households. The origin of the name is a mystery, but maybe from the way toads wait for prey in the burrows or from the phenomenon of the antediluvian toad, 
which was live frogs or toads being found encased in stone, which was a scientific fad of the 18th century, which is just kind of a weird thing to name. You're full of all the facts, Joe. <laughs> it's all just facts. such a weird thing to name a dish after, if that's the case. So I don't know. But <laughs> it still sounds pretty good. Anything anything with them, um, with pastry and onion gravy is usually pretty good. So can't complain there. Um. Moving back a little bit to breakfast, sometimes you don't want the full English experience and you just want a snack. So we'll talk scones versus crumpets. Scones are similar to biscuits, buttery, flaky texture, usually with raisins or other dried fruit. Crumpets have airy holes to help soak up butter that is spread on top. Both can be served with afternoon tea, but crumpets are cooked more like pancakes on a griddle. There is possibly nothing better as a snack when you are touring in England, Scotland, Wales than a good cup of tea and a scone. Yeah. Um and I will uh bring Ireland into the conversation there as well, but even though we're not talking about it, but I was in Ireland a couple of weeks ago and we stopped for scones a couple of times and we stopped at a little hotel in Tipperary. And they had scones with a little bit of jam and just a giant mound of cream on them. And it oh, was so <laughs> it was really, really so good. Bad. It was a great way to kind of get through to lunch that day. I was just like, because we had a late lunch that day. So yes, fully, uh, fully on board with the whole scone situation there. Once you get past the fact that like the cream isn't going to taste like whipped cream, because I will say I was in a <laughs> shock when I heard that. Makes that makes sense. They are amazing. Yeah. They're so good. Sure. On our last work trip, sadly, not in Britain, in Ireland, I remember I was obsessed with the fact that one of the hotels we went to had them like laid out for us with some tea. And I was one of the only people on our group that was like, scones, oh my gosh. Like, I mean, obviously professionally, but just, you know, I put some on my plate and other people were just having their tea. And I thought, how could you pass that up? They're so People good. disgust me. You are oh, lower than low. Actually, no. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Pardon the interruption, but we would like to ask you to subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or anywhere you can find your podcasts. We would really appreciate your reviewing us on any and all of these, as this is the best way for us to find new listeners. Right now, we are going for a segment that we like to call Caitlin's Little Jack Horner, which is Cockney rhyming slang for Caitlin's Corner. In this segment, we give Caitlin some slang, and she has to guess what the translation is to proper English. Caitlin, would you like to know? Would you like to know what today's? <laughs> I would love Little to Jack know. Horner is. Yes. You would. Yeah. I am going to give you what I consider an easy one, but I could be wrong. Um, it is Hank Marvin, Hank Marvin, Marvin. or Hank Marvin, as an American might say, <laughs> if that helps. Okay. okay. All right. We're going to come back to you after you tell us a little bit more about lunch and dinner and dessert. I, and I will take it away. you will have an answer for us at that point. 
I will do my best. So one of the most popular dishes for either lunch or dinner in the UK is fish and chips or fried fish and french fries, as we would think about it more in America. A fun fact to note here is that in Britain, french fries are called chips and the American idea of chips is referred to as crisps. So your Lay's potato chips would be crisps over there and they would be Tatoes. Actually, no. Tatoes are Ireland. What what are they in? They're also Britain? crisps. They're um, walkers would be similar to Lay's oh, okay, in, yeah. in Britain. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All right. Fun little tidbit there. Both Lancashire and London stake a claim to being the first to invent this iconic meal. Chips were a staple food in the north where Lancashire is located, while fried fish was introduced in London's East End. The fish and chip shop was invaluable in supplementing the family's weekly diet in the Second World War, as fish and chips were among the few foods not to be rationed. Lines were often hours long when the word went round that the chip shop had fish. There are now around 8,500 fish and chip shops across the UK. That's eight for every one McDonald's outlet, Joe. So that's that's a... Fun little, another little tip. I just got all the tidbits today. Making British fish and chips the nation's favorite takeaway. So now, based on what we know about fish and chip shops and Indian shops, you could easily be forgiven for assuming that Britain is just fish and chip shops and Indian restaurants, because we have eight and a half thousand fish and chip shops and we have nine thousand Indian restaurants. That's quite a bit for one, I guess, island you'd call it. Um, yeah, I would say one so. thing worth noting about fish and chips in England is they are traditionally or were traditionally served at least in old newspaper, literally wrapped up in old newspaper. And that's how you would eat it. So after you'd be finished eating your fish and chips, you'd have newspaper ink all over your hands because the grease would be rubbing it off. But that's how it used to be served back in the day because it was the most uh, economical way to serve it. And it still continues in traditional fish and chip shops today not all of them obviously but the real traditional ones very cool so moving on to another favorite dish shepherd's pie is made from ground lamb and winter vegetables seasoned in the british style and then baked under a potato topping this comfort food dish is a british classic that originated in england and is now enjoyed throughout the world the british really know how to make a pie we found that out, which oh, this was like the best day when we went to a restaurant called Pie Street in Totnes in Southern England. I said earlier in this episode that I am a picky eater. I was a little bit, actually, that's an understatement. I was very afraid of what I was going to get because I wasn't sure if I was going to like it or not. I got a, I believe it was a beef meat pie, I want to say. Anyway, it was one of their most famous things that they serve up and it was absolutely amazing one of the best things i think i've ever eaten in my life it's amazing what a good lunch um, can do for a person isn't it amazing amazing i, I, I mean i was just i mean that was a know, long time ago now <laughs> it was and it's so weird because i literally i google that place all the time like way more than you should like, like you i'm like stalk it wow i do yes. pick up my ex-boyfriend anyway, in that pie um, shop exactly nice. Pie Street in Totnes, can't recommend it enough um, for your uh, meat pies. So moving on to haggis. 
This is a savory pudding that contains the heart, liver, and lungs of a sheep. Nom, nom, nom. No, yeah. It's minced with onion, oatmeal, suey, and salt. This is mixed with stock and cooked while traditionally encased in the sheep's stomach. And if that doesn't say, you know, pull up a chair and dive in, I don't know what does, right? It's making me hungry. (laughs) So how did this ever become a thing? And that's something I've wondered myself. Food historians agree that haggis originated as peasant food. It was a good way to A, prevent meat from going to waste, which we've seen as a common thing here when times have been rough, and B, efficiently feed a large group. And the stomach packaging was ultimately convenient. And my oh my, does that sound appetizing? It wasn't until 1787 when Scottish poet, the great Rabbi Burns, praised the meal in his address to a haggis, that this entree soared in popularity among all the classes. He's commemorated every year on his birthday, January 25th, in case you want to, you know, have your own celebration next time that rolls around, with a recitation of the poem and a grand presentation of haggis. Now, fun thing to note here, importing real Scottish haggis to the U.S. has been illegal, actually, since 1971, thanks to a ban on food containing sheep's lungs. So, there you have it. You want the real thing, you have to go there, right? Americans are missing out. (laughs) <laughs> I love haggis. Do you really? Honestly, haggis neeps and tatties is one of my favorite starters before a meal. It's not. I don't usually love it for the full meal because it's it's a little bit much, but it's okay. delicious as kind of a small starter before before dinner. We'll say it's really. really I've definitely good. i've i've eaten it just to say that I've tried it because I want to be that person, but. Ooh. Yeah, I, anyway. I love getting it in different parts of Scotland and seeing how different it tastes and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, I love it. Sure, yeah. like how it's prepared. And but yeah, good call. Well, let's move on to you've had your you've had your breakfast, you've had your lunch, dinner. Let's move on to the best part, the dessert. So a trifle is made from several layers of tasty toppings. This includes custard, whipped cream, sponge cake jelly, and a selection of fruits, like strawberries, raspberries, and blueberries. And I believe Sabrina got trifle as her um, British food that she uh, is her summary of herself. Or We're whatever. not the only ones who take the BuzzFeed quizzes, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> no, it's, it's mandatory. If you work with us, you have to take <laughs> So a little side note here. Friends, fans will recall the episode where Rachel makes her Thanksgiving dessert trifle she mixes the recipe with some sort of meat pie and includes beef sauteed with peas and onions so again yum yum right there but if i remember rightly joey liked it though right yeah or at least yes yes and the rest of them had to fully act and pretend that they enjoyed Mm -hmm. it following his cue Yeah. yeah so another sweet treat that britons are fans of is the knickerbocker glory this is a popular treat on days at the seaside It's basically an ice cream sundae made with fruit, cream, and syrup. It appeared in Britain sometime during the 1930s, but no one knows exactly where it came from. The origin of the name is thought to have come from author Washington Irving, who wrote under the pseudonym Diedrich Knickerbocker. You can pretty much get this in the U.S., 
it just doesn't have the fancy name. So, you know, if you want to feel real sophisticated and, and fun, you have to go to the UK, obviously. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Moving on to a warm dessert that's got a um, bit of a peculiar name, to say the least. <laughs> the spotted dick is made from suey mixed with other ingredients like flour, molasses, corn syrup, and nutmeg. It's traditionally served with custard and looks a bit like a sponge cake with dots. Have you had that before, Joe? (laughs) I have never had it because I would be afraid to ask for it in a restaurant. (laughs) That's fair. Completely honest. That's that's very fair. The English sticky toffee pudding is another sponge cake sort of dessert. It's covered in toffee sauce and often served with vanilla custard or ice cream. And there you have it. Wonderful. Yeah. I am hungry anyway. I don't know about you. I am, but I, as we know, I can't cook, so I'm going to have to have someone else make these things for me. It's very sad. It's also 8 o'clock in the morning that we're recording, so not an ideal time to eat most this, of this stuff this or very be true. able to source it because we're both in the U.S. at the moment. So. Exactly, exactly. Unfortunate. Caitlin, you are finished speaking now, so you need to tell me what Hank Marvin means. That was so official. You are finished speaking now. <laughs> so you need to... <laughs> Okay, can I have the phrase one more time? Hank Marvin. M-A-R-V-I-N. Hank Marvin. Honestly, I feel like that rhymes with nothing. Like, I literally can't. Does this one rhyme? Almost. All I can think of is pancake because of Hank. (laughs) Okay, well, when I say almost rhyme, it rhymes better than Marvin and pancake. Also, also pancakes (laughs) are not British, so duh, Caitlin. Uh, (laughs) Um... Hank Marvin. I know you said it was easy, but I don't have anything. What is it, Joe? I did mention that I was really hungry, if that helps. No, (laughs) it doesn't help. What is it? Any any other words for hungry that you can think of? Hangry. Starving. 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 Oh, my gosh. Yeah, oh. that's a very popular one to say. I'm Marvin. Is I've never heard Hank Marvin, Marvin. But, but saying Marvin instead of starving is definitely. A I've thing. heard I've heard starving Marvin also. Yeah. yeah so. Oh, okay, yeah. nice, so, nice. I like it. I'll take it. All right, let's move on to your quiz. I have a few questions for you. Okay. And they are all multiple choice. Is that true? I think. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they are. Okay. okay. So I have a few that Allie came up with, and then I have a few that I actually forgot I came up with. But here we go, Joe. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. The world's first chocolate bar was made where in the UK? York. Late- Hold on. <laughs> in the late 1720s by Joseph Fry. London, Bristol, Windsor, or Edinburgh? Edinburgh. Work wasn't even an option, so boom. Edinburgh. Nope. Bristol. Yes. <laughs> I was going to guess that first, but then you threw in Edinburgh. I was like, oh, that seems obvious. All right. All right. One of one of the main reasons the Romans invaded Britain in 43 AD was to trade what? Beer, grain, oysters, or cheese? Cheese. Nope. Grain. Uh, Beer. Nope. <laughs> it was oysters, actually. All right. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're, I mean, you know, it's all right. I'm just going to give, it. I'm going to wait for the multiple choice anymore, and then I'm going to give one guess, and that's it. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's fair. The world's largest apple was grown in Kent in 1997, weighing what? 2.34 pounds. <laughs> These options are so sad. 3.68 pounds. 3.94 pounds or 5.5 pounds? Does it really matter? That's, that's <laughs> my answer. 2.34. 2. No. I don't know how an apple could be heavier than that. 3.68 pounds. It is ridiculous. There you go. There you go. Okay, just a few more. In monetary terms, the biggest culinary export in the UK is what? Whiskey, chocolate, Tea or salmon? Oh, that's a very good question. I feel like it's got to be whiskey. Good job. Good job. I knew you had it in you. It, could, it couldn't not be like, so, yeah. Last one. Last one. King James I imported 10,000 mulberry trees to the UK for what? Pie, silk, recreation, or shade? <laughs> <laughs> I actually like this question a lot. <laughs> it, it can't be the last two, surely. Can I have a 50-50 on this? Go on, I'm doing really badly. You might as well give me 50-50. You want me to give you the answer? No, I want it, you to take away two wrong answers. Well, you just said it's not recreation or shade, and you're right. So oh, okay, well, then there you go. That's all I need to know. Um, <laughs> so what are the first two, then? Pie or silk? It's got to be Pie. Nope. It's got to be silk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, the king ordered the wrong variety, and silkworms wouldn't eat the leaves. He did find out they make excellent jam, though. So there you go. That would have been my third guess, would have been jam. <laughs> I mean, you know, anyway. Isn't that fun? Yes. Did you just have the most fun? <laughs> that was the most fun I've had <laughs> that was today so, fun so for far, you. probably. <laughs> So let's move on to our hidden gems. This is food that doesn't really fit in a category, but it's definitely important all on its own. Often described as Scotland's other national drink after whiskey, of course, Iron Brew is a carbonated soft drink that was first introduced in 1901. Its distinct orange color and sweet flavor really set it apart from other beverage options in the UK. Iron Brew first became popular during a time when sanitation was poor, and it was considered to be a healthy way to boost your energy by many people in industrial areas. It contains 0.002% iron, but it isn't actually brewed. This drink has been banned in countries like Canada and the U.S. because of the additives it contains. And that's interesting. I feel like that's never the case. It's always things that you can eat in the U.S. that you can't eat anywhere else. But there you go. Yeah, it must be. Re- um, it must be really bad if it's not allowed over here. <laughs> have you Have you had it? I have. I don't really like it, to be honest. Sorry, Scotland. Yeah, I'm very sorry, Scotland. But I like I like pretty much all of your other food. I love whiskey. I love whiskey too. I'll take it. Another of our hidden gem dishes is the Scotch egg. This is a hard-boiled egg wrapped in sausage, covered in breadcrumbs, and then deep fried or baked until crispy. It's commonly found in pubs throughout Britain. Like a lot of other food we've discussed today, the scotch egg's origin is a bit of a gray area. 
One theory is that a London department store, Fortnum and Mason, created the food in 1738 for wealthy travelers on carriage rides. You know, as you do when you, you're, you're in your carriage and you just want something. Of course. Whatever, yeah. Can totally relate. Another theory has the eggs originating in northern India, while the last theory claims Scottish farmers are behind the dish. So who knows? Who knows? In America, when you hear the term pudding, you immediately think of a sweet chocolate or vanilla dessert. This is not your grandma's pudding if you live in America, but if you live in England or the UK, this is your grandma's pudding. Long before the days of jello pudding, Britain created Yorkshire pudding. This meat-based sausage-like food is a savory dish typically served before or with the main course. It wasn't until the late 18th century we got the dessert puddings we think of today. Just to go back to the scotch egg real quick, if I am in Scotland and on the menu in the starters section there is scotch egg and there is haggis neeps and tatties, that's a really difficult decision for me. I just <laughs> needed to share that. Well, thank you. I'm sharing is caring. Even now, I'm like thinking, would I go scotch egg? Would I go haggis, neeps, and tatties? Scotch egg. Wow. <laughs> and, I mean, and I don't know when I'm going to be in Scotland again to have that situation <laughs> arise. But Well, then it sounds like you have some time to think about that, right? <laughs> Which is worse. I, I prefer if I just had to decide now. Anyway. <laughs> What's our tour for this reason? Um, our yeah. tour for the reason we are moving away from self-drive today or chauffeur and we're going to give you an escorted tour because we don't give our escorted tours enough love sometimes. Uh, we are going to talk about our 11-day scenic Britain escorted tour. This tour has you sightseeing while being driven around in a luxury motor coach. Meals are included and you get a wide variety of options throughout Britain, many of which we discussed in this episode. This tour takes you from Windsor, which is just outside of London, to the southwest of England to explore Dartmoor National Park along with Devon and Cornwall. And then it takes you up to Cardiff, which is in Wales, up through Wales to the north of Wales to see all the beautiful castles there where you stay in Chester, which is just in England, and then on the way up to Edinburgh for three nights. So it gives you a great taste, if you will, of all three countries. And as we said, with our escorted tours, meals are all included, so you know they are going to be good and you don't have to worry about trying to figure out where you're going to eat every day because your dinners are all included, which is very, very useful. Caitlin. Yes. Have we reached a certain point in the episode? Yeah, that's why I said yay. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for Caitlin Kiss. Okay, so it's spring, Caitlin. Yeah. And I'm not going to ruin this one for you yet. I'm just going to send it to you so you can check your Slack in a second. Please don't let it be like a sheep before and after, like before the haggis and then after, like made into haggis. I'm not that cruel. I've, Gosh, it's a baby. I have, Go ahead. I have Go gotten ahead. to the point, Caitlin, where I'm scrolling my Instagram feed and I'm like, ooh, Caitlin would love this. Ooh, Caitlin would love this. <laughs> so I've actually started screenshotting them just in case I can use them in the future. Look at 
this little baby. It's a baby lamb who's not going to be made into haggis or anything else for that matter. Maybe just give some wool away from now, now and then. But oh, look at you cute little thing. It's baby lamb. And he has his one hoof forward like he's posing for a cute little picture. And he's ready to do a jig, to be honest. He's ready for a jig. And he's also ready maybe to just like, I don't know, like gallop, to sheep gallop, to <laughs> stroll, <laughs> just stroll around the, the pretty little um, land behind him and just like go on adventures and just be like, just be the cute little lamb he is. Look at him. He kind of has a smile too, Joe, don't you think? Oh, he's definitely smiling. Yeah, he's holding oh, if nothing precious. else. precious. Hello, you little thing. I need one. How do you, like you feel about his tattoo? Okay, what is I, – I I mean, it's fine, but I don't know what that means. I know the colors mean different things. Like, oh, we're going to eat this one or oh, we're going <laughs> to – whatever. So I don't want to think about it. But I do. Like, that's, what does it mean? That is not what it means at all. That just means it belongs to a certain farmer because oh. – <laughs> That particular farmer might have red spray, which he does, whereas the next neighboring farmer might use blue spray. So if all of a sudden he sees a sheep with red spray in his field, he's like, oh, that's not mine. What happens if two farmers live next to each other and they both use the same spray, but they don't know it? Well, that's their problem. Farmer feuds. I think we have a reality show on our hands. Or or if somebody's red sheep wanders into the blue farmer's field and he's like, I'm going to spray this one and claim it as mine. Ooh, then, yeah. then he's an asshole. That's what it happens. Yes. Again, farmer feuds. I think we have something here. Look at this little baby. Oh, I'm gonna, thank you, Joe. And I'm going to eat him at Easter. No, you're not. <laughs> I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that at all. Did not hear that. Well, we can't take any more of this podcast heat. So we are getting out of the kitchen. We're putting out a new episode soon. And we hope you'll join us next time for Reason 22, British beer and in that episode we are hoping that we are going to make british beer sound as appealing as we did british food today because british beer gets a bad rep as well across the world in in defense of british beer coming coming at you pretty soon please make sure you subscribe rate and review us on apple podcast and that is all for today everybody bye bye cheerio